Hey folks, it's Judy Ansel from the Heartland Labor Forum in Kansas City. You can find us at kkfi.org. The Heartland Labor Forum is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Just go to laborradionetwork.org and you'll find a grid of logos for shows. Click on any one for history, news, politics, or arts, all about the most neglected topic in the corporate media, workers. Check out our show on kkfi.org and all the shows at laborradionetwork.org. BCTGM Voices Project, a podcast highlighting the real people who make up our union, the bakery, confectionery, tobacco workers, and grain millers. I'm Michelle Ellis, Director of Digital Media. I will bring the work of our union to you through monthly interviews with the BCTGM's hardworking leaders, organizers, and everyday members. This is the BCTGM Voices Project. One year after recording our very first episode of the BCTGM Voices Project, I decided to get Organizing Director John Price back for a 2021 organizing update in the very same fashion. John brought Jason Maynard along for this one, a longtime worker at Hearthside Foods in Macomb, Ohio, which our union has been trying to organize for two decades. In the first half of this recording, Jason recalls some of the egregious union-busting tactics Hearthside has pulled over the years, as well as harrowing accidents that have occurred without the protection and accountability of a union. His stories are all too common and paint the perfect picture of why labor law must be reformed to better protect workers in the United States. Toward the end, we'll also hear an update on Blue City Brewery's Jasmine White, whom we interviewed in Episode 5, and the first contract those workers just signed, along with union cards BCTGM organizers have been collecting at the Hershey facility in Stewart's Draft, Virginia, and Kellogg's in Zanesville, Ohio. With that, here are John Price and Jason Maynard. So December the 3rd last year is when they counted the ballots out here. It was a mail-out ballot, of course. And Keep in mind, we, we started out in July and actually filed a petition in August, and it took all those months before the ballots actually were counted, which gave the company a lot more time to campaign against the union. And Michelle, you, you know this also that, you know, Hearthside Food Solutions has over 34 facilities around the United States. They're the world's largest co-packers, and they're really taking work off of most of our members. Uh, you know, it seems to be General Mills, Mondelez, Nabisco, Kellogg, stuff like that. So besides where Jason works, where they have 1,200 people making mostly Mondelez, Nabisco stuff, we've also been running a campaign in Michigan City, Indiana, and London, Kentucky, which does the same exact stuff. So. Okay. So basically... Mondelez and these other companies. What ones did you say again? So General Mills, Kellogg's, they, they do all that co-packing for them. So um, they outsource this out of those union plants into Hearthside, which is not unionized, so that they can get the cheaper labor costs. Right. Yeah. So 
BCTGM has been working on organizing this company for 20 years. Yes. Jason, you just told me that you have been there through all, is, is it three organizing campaigns now? Yes. Would you guys just start with a little bit of background on that? Like going back to the 20 years ago, how this all started and where we're at now? Let me say this first. The plan actually opened up 1963, a private plan owned by a guy named Jim Apple, and it was called Consolidated Biscuit Company. I think it was the 80s he made a deal with Nabisco. Nabisco, I believe, owned some of Consolidated uh, Biscuit at the time. Um, because I know through our national negotiations with Nabisco, uh, we did have uh, Vice President Pat D'Angelo and international rep Jim Condren actually got up into the plant. We were trying to uh, make an agreement with Nabisco to bring Consolidated Biscuit into the national uh, negotiations or get them organized anyhow. In any event, we were not the first union to try to help the workers out. When the workers were frustrated in the 90s, they went to the rubber workers union. They have, what is it, Cooper Tires out here. And at the time, they were rubber workers. They're now the steel workers. They merged with the steel workers. So good. But that's one of the biggest employers out here, them and Whirlpool. And um, I remember joking back then, because it was the rubber workers, like, what do they make, rubber biscuits out here? Why are they going to them? Not us, you know. Um, And so the unfortunate thing with that is because uh, nothing against the rubber workers, but they didn't know the ins and outs of the industry. And so when they petitioned, uh, they petitioned for an entire unit, which we wouldn't normally do. Uh, there's a there's a separate building called Easy Pack. They design machinery, so they're not like your typical maintenance guys. They have a whole maintenance department that works on the floor with over 150 maintenance guys. The Easy Pack are uh, like engineers that build and repair. And we would have never put them in the unit. And there was a couple other classifications they put in the unit. And I, I say that because they lost that election, and then in 2002. Uh, international rep Wayne Purvis and I came up here and we met with workers and we were getting a lot of support. I mean, big meetings. I mean, you got a picture in your mind. It's called the village of Macomb. So a very small uh, village, not very big at all. It's maybe three policemen in, in the entire police department, which as you can imagine, the company controls. And so we decided to just do card signing, which is unorthodox right out front of the plant. And, and the reason why is uh, we had the, which the uh, Bill Kelly and his brothers, they were real big, Bill Longhorn. And the Kelly's mother actually was a supervisor there. And she was frustrated with the place and decided to quit. So she kind of helped us out. In any event, they had about 850 people working at the plant at that time. And we got over 600 cards signed. Um, in 2002, uh, we had our convention that year. And the timing of it was off. You know, we would have been at the convention for those, you know, for international in two weeks and the vote would have happened right afterwards. So we kind of had to agree with what the rubber workers did, the entire unit that they petitioned for. And the company ran a real vigorous anti-union campaign. They broke the law in every possible way you can think of. I mean, very egregious. And try to put barricades up to prevent us from getting cards signed and stuff like that. So back in 2002, we filed a bunch of unfair labor practice charges and um, objections to the election. And the board, after doing its investigation, the regional board out of Cleveland, um, issued a ton of complaints against the company, including seven uh, unlawful terminations. It took about eight months before we got to what's called an administrative law judge trial. And that trial went a week in um, June and then another week in September of like 2004. And it was the following year that a decision came out and the judge ruled in our favor that all seven people were terminated because of their union activity and should be reinstated with full back pay plus interest 
and run a new election. The no company filed, the company filed an appeal to Washington. This is the way the process works, and this is why every election, you know, has consequences uh, because we didn't have a friendly board in Washington at the time. So simply by filing uh, exceptions to the judge's ruling, it took another year and a half for Washington to rule that only two people were really fired for union activity and five of them would have been fired regardless if it was union activity or not. So we thought, all right, fine. These two people will go back in the plant. They have to put up a 60-day notice saying they will not violate the law anymore. And, and, and maybe these people will you know, not believe that the plant's going to be closed down or What's some of the other stuff they told you? Deportation? Yeah, deportation. They have a lot of integration people there. You know, someone will make your 12 years old. Yeah, we really thought there was some child labor going on and stuff like that because they weren't checking social security numbers or any of that stuff. They knew they were undocumented workers and they knew they had control of them and threatened deportation. They'll vote now. And there's still a lot of them there. Yeah. yeah. So in any case, to make long story short, that didn't actually get resolved until uh, nine years later from the time we filed the charges because... After the appeal was done, the company decided they were going to do nothing and not follow the law. And the board doesn't have any real teeth. So they have to actually go to a federal court and threaten to hold the, the owner or, or the company in contempt. And that's how it finally got resolved. And two out of five walked back in plant, Russ Teagard and Bill Longhorn walked back in that plant, probably got a quarter of a million dollars in back pay. And then the uh, settlement, which came through the Ninth Circuit Court, the company had to read the 60-day notice in English and Spanish. Then they had to give us the four for 45 minutes with all management outside there. You really thought this was a shot they were going to win their election. But around the same time, uh, an investment firm called Winpoint Investment Firm, I, I don't have the full name, they, they bought uh, Consolidated Biscuit Company. At the time, there was three of them, Michigan City, Indiana, London, Kentucky, and this one here. Uh, and they called it Harside Food Solutions. In the meantime, they were buying other companies. I mean, right now, Local 70 up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, we have three plants that Harside Food owns, and we have a contract with them. They make like Cracker Jacks and stuff like that. Again, it's Copac and stuff. Unfortunately, in 2011, that election was lost, and, and we just kind of left alone. We haven't heard from the people. It's not like we, we've come up a lot. Like I see Jason like once a year, you know, uh, trying to get things rekindled again. But last year, uh, something really was happening, and we started putting a committee together. And keep in mind, during the pandemic, we had to meet outside. We had to keep our distance, um, and we asked the committee to get at least 200 cards signed in inside, and then we would do like we did in 2002 and put up a table and sign everybody up outside. That's when it really took off. Well, we have about 700. Yeah, 700 uh, easily. We filed a petition in August, and like I said, the uh, ballots didn't go out until late September, and they didn't count the ballots until December the 3rd. Uh, this last election, though, keep in mind, um, what I say, about 700 people back in 2002. It was 1,200 eligible voters. That's how much they grew, 1,200 people wow. at that plant here in Macomb. And with a mail-out ballot, not everybody votes. Uh, I'd say about 60% of the people voted. And if 50 people would have voted yes instead of no, this place would be organized. That's how close it came. Yeah. Management is getting very scared. So I'll let Jason explain. Last year, even with the pandemic, the company attempted to hold mandatory captive audience meetings. Explain what they did, the the tents and stuff like that. Okay. Since the pandemic was going on, they pretty much put tents on the outside. So that way they could keep everything separate indoors. So they only had like 200 people at a time in the tent know what you're going to pay for you know just all scare tactics and management says they care for you but they don't they lie to you 
It's very, very unsafe in that plant. So tell me some of the hazards. Uh, I mean, last time we had Gracie Hellman on here, she was talking about a guy that was in his 70s. He didn't want to climb a ladder. He had fear of heights. In 2000, early 2000, mid-98, 99, the guy was walking up the stairway, and he told him not to scared heights, and the manager made him go up there and get it, and there wasn't no folks or nothing up there to grab. So when he grabbed it, he fell backwards and broke his head open and died. Oh, my gosh. Couple deaths in the plant. They have one of the worst OSHA records, and in fact, they do in the state of Ohio. Uh, OSHA comes in, they get smacked in the hand, they get a, they mitigate the, uh, the fines and pay for a clean up. They don't care about safety at all. They say they do, but they don't. Well, I do want to talk about Gracie for a second because she had a really chilling testimony before the Senate, as you know, this past summer. For one thing, the committee I know blew them away, but then I also know this video went on to be pretty viral over Facebook. She talked about having coworkers in there. They became severely depressed. A couple of people committed suicide. Over the term of the last two elections, a lot of depression, a lot of people, the hours they were working were, were just intolerable. You know what I mean? So it's bad enough you're working 12 hours a day and you're working seven days a week. Time to come in like three o'clock, three hours early and then tell you that, well, you got to stay over with the Packers and everybody else. It's not right. Especially when you got to pick up kids and everything else after work. That's not right. Yeah. So I think what you were going to refer to is it seemed like a, an epidemic there for a little while. There was a lot of suicides in the facility. Well, Gracie, I remember one Gracie was specifically talking about that suicide because a lot of people wanted to attend that person's funeral and they were going to write everybody up. Jason, I'm curious. It's it's obviously these things that are keeping you guys continuing to fight to try to organize. Is it changing anything among the workforce to see all these strike activity over the summer and to find out? that a lot of people are working under these conditions. The difference with the union, they've been able to actually fight back and do something about it. Well, they, ours is a lot of younger crowd nowadays. Especially all high school, they don't understand what union retirements are versus the older people like us have been there a while. They want a pension. Yeah. And trying to talk to the younger generation about what's going on is harder because they don't, they don't understand what retirement and stuff is until they get older. And again, you're talking about the, the village of Macomb. I mean, yeah, actually, they hired a, uh, it was a limousine company originally. Now it's a busing company. And they have to get their workforce as far as Toledo, Ohio. I mean, that's a good hour drive. They have buses that run all three ships. And, and they had the employees paying for this. I think it was like $9 one way. Once we went back out there and hand build, you know, you referred to all the strikes and, and, and the people inside Hearthside Food have been following the strikes, particularly with Nabisco closely, because a lot of their issues were the same issues that Nabisco had. And, and you're absolutely right, Michelle. I mean, a lot of stuff I heard, you probably heard just as much as like, this is what you have to do. They can vent and they can grieve. They have a way to fix their problems where we don't because we're non-union. So when we went out after the Mondelez Nabisco strike ended victoriously for, the, for our members, we went out and hand-built all the workers at Harside Food in Macomb to, to bring them up to date on what was happening. Uh, and the company felt very threatened. Uh, and so at that point, they put up all this stuff on a billboard. They, the, the people that were paying $9 a day for the bus trip to work and back, they gave that to them for free. Uh, they also pissed off a lot of other workers because... Yeah, it was kind of a, a double-edged sword, right? If you see in the facility, there's two humongous parking lots, like a sea of cars and stuff like that. 
So I recall when people were saying that, like, oh, yeah, they're catering to all these new people because they can't men. So now they're going to pay for their trip to and from work. Who's going to pay for my gas? You know, you're looking out there and all these cars are there. Just terrible. The last campaign, too, uh, you know, United States being the only country where union busting is a multi-billion dollar industry. And I'd say nine out of 10 of the organizing campaigns that uh, where we're helping workers at, the company will hire uh, union busters. Harfside's no different. In fact, uh, they spend a lot more money than I see in most companies. Yeah, because when Harfside has the anti-union busters in there, they have in different languages. For Laos, Spanish, American, there's so much different diversity in there. It's just unbelievable. You got about thirty percent Hispanic, and then you know, the Ocean's about ten percent. Yeah, but uh, it's not like you know. I'm familiar with over the years when a company hires a union buster, they usually come in, they educate the managers and supervisors on what to tell workers on the line. They give them their captive audience speeches. They give them their anti-union videos and stuff like that. Every once in a while, they'll do the speech themselves. But if they do, they have to fill out labor management reports with the government. That's why they try to, they're cockroaches. They, they, they want to be away from the light. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In this case with our side, uh, not only last year did they have three full-time union busters walk in the plant. They, they had them two, three months before the vote and then continue to stay even after the vote thinking we we're going to file objections. And then uh, Jason and the others were telling me after we handbilled a month and a half ago, they called them back again. And so you got to keep in mind the money that these union busters get paid. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and it's not an even playing field. I mean, we, we of course, can't come in, uh, you know. And so you've got three full-time union busters that walk the floor, pull people off the line. So one of the tactics we did last year, we had, because of the COVID, we had the uh, union, yes, face mask. And so we were handing them out to people. And so what all the pro-union people were telling us was when the union buster came up, they would touch them and they turn around and they see that union. Yes. BCTGM. Oh, all right. Forget it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. We wait for management. That's how it's no, we can't wear What's some of the other tactics we did? Like at the mandatory meeting, they did that. What time is it? Yeah. And then uh, we had that thing at meeting and all of a sudden, yes, go you. Yeah. Management didn't like it at all. Yeah, they checked the the uh, anti-union meeting he was describing outside where they had this, uh, the big top, I call it, big tent. Circus. Yeah, circus tent. As close as him and I are sitting now, and this is when the pandemic was running rampant. You know, I mean, uh, there was no, uh, nobody was getting inoculated. You know, there was uh, uh, no shots out there. Everybody, but they had them sitting this close and stuff. Um, when they, they got done running their anti-union meeting, somebody in the front of the room would yell out, what time is it? And then the entire room would scream, union time. And that was it. Manager said, everybody out, we're done. Yeah. But when you're in a, if you're in a, a meeting that they bring in for a town hall, you ask your plant manager or vice president or president of that corporation, he says, we'll get back with you. You don't talk to you. That's it. Another tactic they do. They learn that, that even if they're educated or given uh, you know, a, a text on what to say to the workers and stuff, that you're going to have an employee out there that knows more than they know. And they found out not to take questions because and we try to train our committee to do that, to get out and ask questions. And you can take that meeting off them. You can turn that captive audience meeting into your captive audience meeting. So this is a new tactic management now comes out with. What they'll say is, 
uh, look at, we're running late. We don't have time to take any questions, but you can come visit me in my office. This is the plant manager saying this now, or grab one of your supervisors uh, because they don't want you educating everybody else out in that meeting. And so you might know more than I do about it, but it's only one vote and not, you know, 50 votes that are in there. I mean, your group has, your group manager is trying to say that they care for you. I mean, you go talk to them about something, they, they throw you underneath the rubber. We don't want to hear it. You get hurt, and it's the office steps in, and they want to, oh, we didn't know about that. So one of the things, just I'm going to uh, just let you know what we're having now is, um, I mentioned, you know, about 34 non-union, uh, well, not non-union, because you get the three facilities in Grand Rapids that are unionized, and then uh, the USCW just organized the cereal plant in Mississippi. Um, we're really focused on um, the Michigan City, Indiana facility, which has about 700 employees, and then the London, Kentucky facility, another 700 employees, and then the 1,200 employees that work up here in Macomb Village. We just recently been talking with our folks up in Macomb about getting the committee together again. And so we're in a process of starting to do that. And at the same time, we wanted to see the interest that we had at both Michigan City, Indiana and London, Kentucky. And so uh, local 280 and uh, members from Earth Greens went out and hand-built workers in London, Kentucky. And it went over well. A lot of people took the leaflets and stuff like that. And Michigan City, Indiana was a little bit more interesting because the company came out and not only tried to interfere with the union activity, but they were videotaping uh, local one reps that were hand-building uh, the workers coming and going. At one point, uh, Beth Sabala, who, who is... Uh, Secretary Treasurer, I believe, out with Local One. Uh, she was handbilling out there, and she was telling me that they brought a manager or supervisor. Uh, she was talking to a lot of the Hispanic workers in Spanish, and they brought this lady out. And apparently, she came out to intimidate the workers, try to get in front of them and stuff. And of course, Beth just got in front of her and explained uh -huh. to people, just ignore her. She's only doing this because she's afraid that you'll organize and then you'll have a real voice in the workplace and get your dignity, justice, I mean, respect. the same thing goes over there in our side. You know, you're out there protesting, you know, getting car side and educating people. You know, we have to come out and try to threaten you. Know, like, you know, stand out in front of you, see what you're going to do. And then they tell you, well, you can't stand here. This is company property. Well, it's company property. Why they got a public sidewalk on it? And they turn around and put them barrels up. You know, someone's in a wheelchair or disabled and they're trying to get across there instead of going down the road. That considers a hazard. Yeah. Well, again, you know, it's a small village. They probably pay the most taxes or the employees money out. Yeah. Um, and so they control the township. But anyhow, um, our focus is really big on our side food solution because, again, anyone in our union understands the reason why we have the best contracts in the industry is because of our union density. And a lot has changed over the last 20 years. I mean, we, we started out talking about Mondelez Nabisco, right? Uh, when Nabisco was sold constantly, then there's always like a plant that seems to get shut down because they want to reward the shareholders. And the shareholders do well, then the CEO does well. Uh, I don't know if anybody caught CBS this morning, uh, but they did a segment on Kellogg Strikers. They talked to uh, one of our members from Battle Creek and, 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 and the brother couldn't, couldn't put it any better that they care more about the shareholders and CEO and the workers come last. And so two-tier is a big, big issue out there, just like it was with Mondelez Nabisco. The only way we keep the best contracts in the industry is to organize the industry. And so Harfside Food Solution uh, is a threat to our members and their livelihood. And we got to help them. We got people, like I said, 1,200 people here in Macomb, Ohio, that, that get terminated without cause. 
There's so much favoritism running in there, rampant. It's just crazy. The economics alone, keep in mind, they make the same Oreo cookie as our members do. And uh, so our members are making $25 an hour and above. See, what's the average pay over there? About 18? Well, the new ones are starting out at 20 bucks. They, they put them up to 20 bucks now because yeah, of the pandemic. Yeah, it's good. And that's all because that all came because of the last campaign, the election, because they, they were below $18 an hour. And I know they started giving them all sorts of incentives to vote no in, in, in the last election. Uh, but the thing is, where our members are getting 16 75 cent wage increases or even 50 cent wage increases, it's been a long practice that they only get 10 cents every four months or something like yeah. that. It's like then our insurance goes up, they don't cover it. And it takes it away. It takes so it away. We're not really good. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're trying to pay you know, the union plant, they treat you better. But without a union plant, you know, get treated like crap. So, let, let me ask you, if I were to tell you that your managers are telling people that we're in touch with that they don't get involved pretty much, it's up to the workers and the employees just don't want the union. I mean, the easiest thing for me is to see the overwhelming majority sign cards and all of a sudden, a few months later, they'll vote no. I mean, what would you say to that? Do, do they get involved? Did I, are they telling you to vote no? Well, I, I think they're scared to ask kids is that you vote yes and you got to pay $20 or $30 for your union. A weekend. Yeah. It's like, okay, is that more important than listening to management pull you in the office every time? And, oh, you're fired. We don't need you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people are dedicated there since high school. And they get turned around, get treated like crap. But there are people that's been there nine, two years. They're moved up to supervision or whatever. Yeah. I mean, so there's a workforce over there. It's unbelievable. They don't care about you. Yeah. They're just worrying about profit after profit. So I, I would say, look, next year, there's no doubt in my mind that we're, we're going to have another election up here in Macomb. And, and, and hopefully we can build that solidarity. And you remember, uh, Michelle. That's been more than 10 years ago when, when we were trying to do two elections with Horse Food, one in London, Kentucky, and one in Macomb, Ohio, mm -hmm. uh, because there's nothing better than solidarity. You know what I mean? Everybody coming together. So so look forward to, to the next year where hopefully not just Macomb, we're looking at Michigan City, Indiana, and London, Kentucky. Um, let me say that, that the interest at, at Michigan City, Indiana, and some calls are getting there, a lot of this was generated from the strikes this year. Um, you know, we always brag about how we settle 99.7% of our contracts without a strike. Well, this has been an unusual year, both for union and non-union workers. I mean, you've probably seen the statistics of how many workers are quitting their jobs and moving on. You know, they see that it's just unfair how much a CEO gets paid, you know, opposed to what they get paid, or uh, it's not a good living wage, these jobs that they have today. No. It's just that simple. But Workers see that our members have an outlet. They, they, they have a way to settle their grievances. And, and in this case, it was strikes. And so at the beginning of the year, Frito-Lay uh, in Kansas City, of course, that was a strike that lasted almost a month. And they resolved all the issues that they had. Um, then we had the Mondelez Nabisco, which was a rolling strike, started out in Portland, Oregon, and rolled across the country. And again, that was three or four weeks. And, and uh, Mondelez came to their senses and, and settled. Um, and of course, Kellogg's right afterwards. It has generated, though, so much interest because these are icons. We talk about Kellogg's cereal, Oreo cookies, or Frito-Lay products. And so as the director of organization, I can tell you, and you know this as well, monitoring all the social websites. So we've been getting a lot of people interested in forming a union. Last Monday, we won election at Prune Confections in Boulder, Colorado, with Local 26. And that's a pickup of about 80 new members. It, it was kind of a slow year with organizing because 
we did well during the pandemic last year. You know, unbelievable. We had seven elections and won the overall majority of them, including 700 people down at Blue City Brewing. And so a lot of uh, uh, we were doing first contract negotiations and then all these strikes happened and stuff, too. But now there's generated so much interest with organizing. We're at a point where we're getting committees together and stuff and I'm pushing it past the holidays. So I'm thinking like 2022 is going to be a big year in organizing. And to give you a couple examples, in Stewart Strath, Virginia, there's 1,100 Hershey employees that make uh, mostly Reese's Pieces, Reese's product. Uh, they make mounds and almond joy. Um, this is a plant that's doubled over the last 20 years, and they're looking to grow as high as 1,600, 1,700 employees. I, we were getting hits on our website um, like every other month, but you know, when, when I'm talking with the person who contacted us, uh, sometimes they get a little overwhelmed and because it's a big project when you're talking 1,100 people and you're saying, hey, you know, we're looking to get 65% and interest signed up. We need to form a committee and all that stuff. I went down there at uh, the end of September and I was going to meet with about a half a dozen people from second shift and 28 people showed up. And this was just whispers. It wasn't advertised. Uh, we set another meeting outside uh, for the 7th of October and we had 275 people show up. And so you got to see absolutely something's happening here. Yeah, now, yeah. again, this is not really money because everything that local 464 negotiates with Hershey and Hershey, Pennsylvania, Hershey will give to the non-union employees to try to deter them from trying to form a union. So they're up there with money. You know, they're up there making, uh, you know, 20, 25 hours, 30 hours an hour. Um, they, they get paid good premium pay and all that stuff. Uh, but it's daily justice and respect. Um, it, it's their work rules, their regulations, it's the hours and consecutive days they're working. You know, there's just a whole lot of other issues. So uh, we started card signing there and I'm happy to report that, um, you know, we're probably going to petition for an election uh, early next year. We also started getting uh, uh, calls uh, and, and people hitting our website at Kellogg's. And who would have thought with four Kellogg's facility on strike, 1,400 Kellogg workers, you would think they would be afraid, you know, like, oh, wow, they're out of work. They're on strike. But we got a call from workers in Zanesville, Ohio, and they make Morningstar Foods, which is plant-based product. It's, it, if you go to a grocery store, it's breakfast products and stuff like that. There's 350 employees there. Um, they have four shift, 12-hour shifts. And again, I'm happy to report that uh, along with Lisa Gregory and Local 57, we met with them the last couple of weeks. And the interest came to a point where we've begun card signing at that facility. How many did you say? 350? 350 people at that plant. And that's the only facility that makes that product. They used to have one in Utah. They closed it down and making it all now in Zanesville. Uh, and of course, as you know, we have two big uh, bimbo bakeries in Zanesville, Ohio, which used to be Wendy bakeries out there. So we've got a lot of people that kin folk that know each other, too. So that will help out. Good. The other Kellogg's, the biggest facility they have now, I believe, is in Jackson, Tennessee. That was the Pringles plant. There's only two Pringles plant, one in Germany and the one in the United States is in Jackson, Tennessee. But it's so big, it's like an automobile facility that they've been shutting down both non-union and union facilities and moving the production down to Jackson, Tennessee. And so since the strikes happened, we've been getting calls from workers there too. So that's at the early, early stages yet, but, but that's something um, to look forward to in the future too. Yeah. Good. That you guys finally got a, a first contract at Blue City Brewing. We had done a podcast early this year with a worker, Jasmine White, who had been fired during that campaign. 
Do you have an update on her? Yeah, so Jasmine and, and, and anybody who watched that uh, podcast remembers Jasmine was a real strong union activist and, uh, you know, they did everything from search her personals or lockers and, you know, like Gestapo. They fired her. The board investigated it and issued about a half a dozen complaints against the company. And we were set to go to an administrative law judge trial in the summertime. We won the election down there. 149 won the election and we were in negotiations, but the company was bargaining in bad faith. They weren't allowing uh, the business agent Latita inside the facility. There was all sorts of hazards. So we had the final additional charges, which postponed the administrative law judge trial so they could investigate the new charges. They found merit to all those new charges. In fact, they were looking to do an injunctive relief. Well, in the meantime, we settled the contract down there and it was just ratified last week. And it's a great first contract when I understand you know, while majority showed up to the meeting and voted, voted yes for a contract. As far as the charges go, uh, they were not settled, but the board is now encouraging both parties to get together to try to resolve uh, the outstanding complaint. If it's not settled by the middle of January, then we'll go through an administrative law judge hearing. And it usually takes a few months after that before a decision is made. I can tell you now that the contract settled that the company will be coming in and offering all sorts of money because they want her to go away. And, and of course, we like to see her get all that back pain, come back to work, uh, you know, since she was such a strong leader, too. So you're thinking they're going to give her her back pay and ask her to still not work there? Yeah. What, it won't just be back pay. What they'll do is offer her uh, full back pay plus interest, and then they'll offer what we call front pay. Um, and so when you when you if you get fired for union activities, uh, of course, we seek all back pay plus interest. Uh, the government wants you to mitigate your losses. So, of course, Jasmine got a job after a few weeks. So any money she made in that other job comes off of with that company. So the new employer is paying the penalty for the old employer in that case. But the incentive to keep them from coming back to work is throw out that money. Uh, and you may recall when we were organizing Panera Bread, the woman named Kathleen Von Itzen, uh, who was only making $10 an hour, they terminated her. And uh, I remember asking her what her bottom number would be. We want her to come back to work with full back pay and stuff. Uh, and she said, look, it, I'm 59 years old. If I can get my annual pay until I can collect my Social Security at 65, that's the only way I would settle. Well, that was only $150,000. That's how much a company will pay to go through an administrative law judge trial. So, again, that was back pay, front pay, health insurance, anything, any way to basically pay off that person, not to bring them back. So, John, do you have any highlights from the first contract with Blue City? First of all, how many new members is this for us? So the we call potential members. There's going to be 700. I think there's 700 full-time employees there now. Um, we got about 60% or, or just around 60% signed up and in the members of the union now. Uh, okay. Now that we have new member orientation in the contract, um, anytime they hire new employees, the business agent comes in and, and gives uh, them information about the union and signs them up right there. And that's working out great because uh, from Vice President Zach Townsend just informed me last night, the local 149 and their new member orientation, uh, you know, signed up over 90% of the people they met with, with the first meeting. Uh, I don't have all the other uh, specifics of the contract. Um, you know, I, I do know the, the overwhelming uh, majority voted to accept it that showed up today. Well, that's good. That's good news. All right. Well, this was a really good organizing update for the end of 2021. It's kind of hard to believe that the first podcast we ever recorded was this time last year, and it was an update on 2020. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
which it was a little more active last year, but to your point, I think we'll see a lot more activity going on in 2022. And, and you and I have talked early next year, we're going to do another one, another update and go a little further into the Hershey campaign. Um, Absolutely. I I, I think uh, we we should definitely do it with the Hershey workers as well as Kellogg's, but we'll see how that's going to. And um, yeah, besides these podcasts, all this new technology, we're finding out, because it all comes down to communication and education. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it helps people really relate to be able to hear from you, Jason, and, and to be able to say, well, that's going on with me too. And, and hear how other people are navigating it. Oh yeah. But everybody should have a union in their plan for back security and retirement. Retirement. I mean, you're in the sixties. You know, plan don't care about you anymore. You're just like a, Oh, oh, <laughs> and so Jason's usually a lot more talking than his mate. Keep mind, I just drug him out of work just now too, right? And so they're still dragging them because they're not union yet. We'll see what happens next year. Yeah, we're gonna get it done. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Sounds good, right, guys. Thank you for uh, All right, time with me today, and I'll be talking to you soon. All right, Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh yeah, Merry yeah, Christmas. yeah, Merry Bye-bye. Christmas to you. See ya. If you found this content valuable, please consider sharing it on your own social media pages and be sure to tag us. We are BCTGM on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more on the activities of the BCTGM, go to bctgm.org.